Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Kimberly Rose. Hello. Hi. Hi, Hi. there. Hi. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you for coming on. Um, so, Kim, because I don't know how many people outside of the inner circle of Australian comedy know who you are, but um, <laughs> like, explain to the, all the listeners who you are and what you do. Uh, great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nobody knows who I am. Uh, hello, hello world. Uh, no, I am. I'm Kimberly Rose, and I've just been doing comedy for uh, just over two years, I guess. Like you know, COVID was a big interruption, but I have mm. been a filmmaker since I was like twelve. So that's my main sort of profession: filmmaking and acting and that sort of thing. Um, I always wanted to do comedy since I was like, yeah, again, like twelve. Yeah, but I sucked at public speaking. Like. <laughs> I was the kid in the class who uh, did so badly that my teacher was like, just have a seat. You can do yours after the class, you know? Like oh, wow. I had to do mine, mine privately with the teacher. Like I just couldn't. So I thought, even though I loved comedy and I was like so so much respect for stand-ups, I had favorite stand-ups very early on. I was just like, I can't do it. It was the most embarrassing thing ever. Wow. And then, yeah, I think I just, I was super self-conscious as a kid growing up. Um, and I think that slowly just life sort of beat that out of me in a way that, (laughs) you know, you just realize that, oh man, everyone's a bit self-conscious. No one thinks about you as much as you think they do. And like, everything's embarrassing anyways. So I don't know. I just learned to sort of embrace that cringe a little bit. And also like, if I'm honest, uh, beta blockers. Oh yeah. Like they definitely helped a whole lot. Like, um just with like handshakes or you know it stops you from spiraling on stage yeah it really it, it, so. yeah it's i think that's kind of like cuz i suffer from anxiety so it's like and i take i take like anti-anxiety medication and yeah. like so it helps out like propanol uh no um lovin so okay. it's like uh just like fluxetine flowing throughout my body it's great yeah uh, it's quite, i think of what it has done like before i took it i was like consciously really shaken most if something traumatic had happened or like something was stressing me it was virtually impossible to reason with me because i'd be worrying to the point of extent so which is funny for like a creative because it's it's quite reducing you can't do anything yeah um it was like do you find that comedy's been a better avenue for you than acting was or do you feel like you you love both worlds kind of like equally um well, I guess because with film, it's um, it's actually like directing, um, mm. writing and directing and sort of stuff. And then acting was sort of a byproduct of that. And then because yeah. I early on, I just I don't know. I always thought, oh, I'm going to be the director. I'm going to be the visionary and stuff. And so but sometimes people would be like, oh, you're in film. You must be an actor. And I, and <laughs> I just kind of thought, oh, like, no, I'm not that in front of the camera, prima donna mm. or whatever my idea of it. So I kind of really tried to turn away from that and be like, no, I'm just behind the scenes. I don't want yeah. to be in front of it. I don't want people to think I'm, you know, it's just about me or my narcissism or whatever. And then, <laughs> but then I realized acting is super fun and it's yeah. like, it's it's really cool and enjoyable and uh, less stressful in a lot of ways I've found. So I've just sort of like stumbled into it, the acting side a bit more, directing and writing, I think. You know, I really worked hard at um, getting a foot in the door. And then now, because of that, I guess I can, like, yeah, uh, have fun acting a little bit as well. But, yeah. 
I'm only just at the point now with acting that I want to get like a legit agent. <laughs> oh, really? I, I just have like commercial agents and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, but... like it's interesting as well that you talk, oh, I want to stay behind the scenes because comedy is not staying behind. No, not the scenes. at all. That is <laughs> yeah. like very double-sided right there. Like how does that work? Well, that yeah, see, that's the thing. Like because I thought I suck at public speaking. I don't want to be in front of people. I don't want to be perceived as um, the you know, just the cliche of what someone who wants everyone to look at them is like. Um, No, I thought like, oh, I'm smart. I want to be the smart one. But then it's funny that it's turned out that I actually, I love stand up so much and performing in front of people. Mm. Um, And I've actually found stand up to be, um, maybe because I started filming when I was like 12, but I've just found stand up to be so much easier to like move ahead in. And obviously no one takes a 12-year-old filmmaker seriously, but... <laughs> I mean, it would be big if they did, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe if I was the son of, like, uh, well, the son of Kubrick. Yeah. It's the, funny how I went to, like, like yeah. the male pronoun. Yeah, it's like if I was the son of Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. Done. Yeah. yeah. Not the daughter of Kubrick. No, that, that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, but... I think I, because I was, I was just so insecure and 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 worried. I felt just um almost embarrassed of being alive. Like yeah. you know, we always a lot of people get bullied when they're younger and stuff. And you just, I thought, oh, if I'm invisible, you know, then they can't pick at like me. Yeah, and then they can just see what I've done and what I've done in secret. Like I wrote this, I made this, and like here, and it's something that you have more control over. Yeah, than just like here I am, and like you know, with with stand up. You do write it, but also you ad lib some things, you riff, and then the audience sometimes just doesn't, you know, they don't they don't like you. Some people don't like you, um, but it's it's so worth it because when it does go well, it's yeah. it's the best. And also, I don't care anymore. I don't. Yeah. I, don't <laughs> I, I seriously don't care if the, if certain audience members don't like me or if you know they heckle or whatever. Like something switched, and I. Yeah. yeah, I don't care. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, I I think that's the kind of thing that uh, people forget about performers as well, is we're all like really self-conscious people or like at least people in the arts. I feel like it's like a, I want to say 30, 70, because really 30% of people who have no fear of it, good yeah. on you. Good fucking on you. I have no idea how you've managed yeah. to stay sane um, or they're sociopathic. Um, or the other half is like us where it's like, you know, you, you got you to gotta remember you're doing it for you. And I think that's like, um, it's something I've realized in the last year, probably like last couple of years as well, because it's sort of like you've got, I mean, you pick up the, you, you have the pandemic happening and then, you know, now we've kind of gotten to this unknown situation where we got a new variant, but also we don't know what the stage of the future is. And I feel like a lot of people prior to the pandemic were going, oh, you have to do this for commercialism. You have to do it for profit. You have to do it. And now I just got to the point of, if I'm not doing it for me, then why the fuck am I doing it? Like it, it, there is a point of like my five friends might love this. Yeah, but it, and that's great. My family might never listen to it. Who the fuck knows? But it's like, <laughs> I think it's really it, it, it's something that you know that you've got to get into that mindset. And I hundred percent agree with you because you can't listen to the people who write you bad reviews and people who do. Like, why they they're such a minute opinion? Yeah, on the ground, it's it's funny. Like, whenever I go to movies, I actually don't read the reviews prior to seeing films. And if I do, I just kind of go, okay, I'm going to go in with my own expectations. But some people take like reviews 
about like anything so seriously yeah um like how are you how are you with that like in terms of people and yeah. giving reviews to you um I guess what the last thing you just mentioned about you know people taking reviews so seriously I think it's like because they don't trust their own sort of opinion enough yeah. almost like they need to know okay but what do other people like me think or what does the guardian think because I'm yeah you know left wing and so I have to align or like you know with other things and it's like yeah I agree it's uh like, did you see um, Titan at all? No. At the Sydney? No, oh, okay. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't read anything about that. I just, you know, all I heard was people were passing out and it won the, really? pa- the Palm Dior. And so I, I went to it and I'm so glad I, I didn't. And I, I, I loved it. It's yeah. exactly, it's, it's, it's horrifying. It's beautiful. It's, um, it's, it's like, yeah. I it's exactly my kind of film but then the person I went with didn't you know exactly yeah. love it and it's interesting that we could have a discussion you know about that and stuff and how we differ in our opinions without ever referring to oh but this reviewer said that or this yeah. you know like we didn't at that point know oh what's the general consensus on this film but obviously it won like the palm d'or so that yeah <laughs> that is I'm like a- I heard about it I didn't ever get to watch it I think it was like it it came into my radar and then disappeared quite quickly yeah which was funny because I was like oh that looks like the poster looked interesting yeah it looked it looked weird <laughs> it looked wonderful but like it was also like um I remember with the Nightingale yeah um, that was a film that everyone like. Too such a weird fucked up film yeah it's great but i mean like i was originally going to see it on the film festival nine and i was like then too tired and i was like i'm exhausted i'm actually just going to skip it because i've heard weird things about it i'm oh and and i did watch it and i did um see the scenes that everyone was referring to and they're not like i think if you do find that stuff incredibly confronting mm. absolutely totally get that i i mean like i'm a sociopath and i was in serial while i was watching the yeah. latest poor baby get murdered it, it really, oh. like I, I don't know why i sound so horrible no we i, 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 I just have fine. a disconnect yeah. i have a disconnect when it's like it i i think it's also like it depends the environment you watch it in but i think if you watch it in like a closed environment it's a little bit easier probably to swallow than it is in a film environment mm. Like films like that because it's quite confronting. But I also think that people don't want to learn the truth about how people acted back then. Mm. They don't want to know the real brutality. They want it implied. They don't want to see it. And that's the difference is people find the brutality of things like off-putting. Like it's – I feel like some people really steer away from like films that actually really touch on – yeah, but then again, like, I think great art is confronting by its nature. And then there's – because this idea of, you know – there are very, you know, generally family-friendly films or superhero films or, you know, the majority of what makes big money is quite palatable to the broadest yeah. of audiences. But are you going to be, I don't know, like a great book confronts you or makes you think in a different way. And I think great film does that too. But it's like, you know, like Tarkovsky, right? Mm. I love I love Tarkovsky films, but also at the same time, you know, you're going to like, all right, here we go. You got to sit down. <laughs> you got to maybe have a beer there. You got to yeah. be like, this is what I'm doing. I'm watching a Tarkovsky film because you have to like en- engage and yeah. like be there for it. You can't be like on your phone, like watching a Marvel movie or like. No, you can't. You can't yeah. half-ass that. Like, yeah. and it's worth it. But it's also because we're so our attention is so limited these yeah. days. It's so hard to almost force yourself to watch these kind of films. Yeah, I know. Uh, like, how old Tarkovsky films now? Sorry? How old is his film? Uh, 
they were back in the like seventies. Yeah, so, yeah, like f- forty or fifty years ago. Yeah, yeah, that feels like. I mean, that, that's the thing as well. Like, also, you have to remember the day our audience today really don't know a lot of old films. Like, unless yeah. it's on YouTube. Yeah. And then they're not going to fucking notice. And I'm like, you know, I grew up on Alfred Hitchcock, which, you know, not the best, like an amazing director, not the best human in the world. Yeah. Amazing director, though. And um, like, I feel like if you watch some of his films, you've got to kind of patiently sit there and, mm. and listen through a lot of chatter. Um, but there's some films even made today where you've got to listen heavily to the dialogue and what people say. And I mean, yeah. do you feel like consumerism and how we consume things is different to how, you know, obviously you and I would have consumed things when we were younger? That's interesting. Um, well, yeah, because, I mean, because when we were young, there wasn't really social media. I'm, well, I don't know how old you are. I think we're um, the same age, 28. Yeah. I'm 29. 29 so, yeah, there we we're, there we, we're, the, we're yeah. the same age. <laughs> we're so old and grey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you, you know. Yeah, because I, as a kid, I remember I just would pop in like you know VHS after yeah. VHS, and they would just my parents' collection of videos. Like they had no idea of, like oh she shouldn't be watching this or that. Like they just yeah. didn't care. So I maybe that's part of what made me want to become a filmmaker because I was mm. I got obsessed with these quite, you know, adult movies in a way like The Elephant Man and stuff when I was oh. like eight. You know that was my favorite film when I was eight, and that's where I learned about suicide and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> Hey, yeah. mom, guess what I learned today? Yeah. Um, um, so I don't know. Yeah, because because there wasn't, I just couldn't just go online and, and be yeah. like, oh, scrolling and there's all these tiny tidbits of information and memes and they're so, so you can fill up hours with just tiny little grains of information. But where back then, you know, you, you have to put in two hour long films or, yeah. you know, and you, you're so absorbed. I didn't feel like I was bored or I needed to have something else in my hand or, yeah. you know. I don't know. So it's interesting. I think I think it's very true. And I feel like, you know, consumerism happens in different ways. Like I feel like obviously, I, yeah, we, we were quite fortunate in the 90s and early 2000s that VHS was literally the way to go. And mm. what you saw on TV was late night SBS and stuff like that, where they had the weird films on or they had like, you know, a murder <laughs> mystery or something. And I remember like in year nine, they showed us Dracula in the 1938 Dracula and just just watching it. It's an hour and 15 minutes or something like that before like films were an hour and a half. Um, and yeah, it's just like you see all the shadows, you see the like the, the fakeness about it, but you still love it and you still get absorbed by it. And, you know, then there's also like Stanley, Stanley Kubrick, who's done a whole bunch of films that are very different in very different ways um generally and then he's just like people kind of forget that like you know ai artificial intelligence was actually technically made by him and mm. steven spielberg and but you know he died before it was even completed so there's a whole bunch of stuff about that everyone goes oh no that's a steven spielberg film it's like it's also a stanley kubrick film like it's a both their films um so yeah it's there are but also with film yeah, what you saw on TV in the 90s and early 2000s was w- like, and what my parents owned was what I was injected into. And a lot of that was old 1970s, 1960s and 1950s films. Like they were nothing of the now era. Whereas I know so many people who don't know those films. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what's a VHS? And I'm like, have you existed? Like they're these clunky <laughs> things. They're young. Yeah, they're, yeah, but they're yeah. not that young. They're yeah. our age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay. 
Yeah, like, maybe some kids they just didn't even watch anything. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Were we the Were we the closeted <laughs> kids who just hid away and just kind like what? <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid, it was funny, like, because my brother and his friends or whatever, sometimes they'd be like, oh, come outside and play and yeah. stuff. I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, Kim's grumpy again. <laughs> like, I was this 10-year-old that just like, I want to be alone. <laughs> like, Were you, I, yeah. yeah. Were you always an introverted kind of um, person? Yeah, mostly. Like I could hang, but I mostly I mostly sort of did that out of uh, almost jealousy. Like I didn't oh, want to really? I didn't want to miss out because I wanted to, I want to experience things, but at the same time there was just so much in yeah, a movie collection or books or whatever. Yeah. I was just like I found that most of the time way more exciting. Mm-hmm. But then I felt so jealous if if like you know, the kids or my friends or whatever be like, oh, my God, this just happened while we were outside. I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so then I'd go out and it would be boring. But I don't know. I feel like I'm an omnivert or whatever it is. Yeah. But I definitely, like, you know that that whole vanas- vanasana? Is that what it's called? Silence retreat or whatever? Oh, yeah. But I would have no problem. Like, I absolutely could not talk for a whole month. Like very easily. Like wow. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, I just um, I don't like talk to myself out loud when I'm alone or anything. Yeah, wow. I don't know. And people, yeah, people think, oh, that's that's maybe a bit difficult for most people. I'm not sure. I mean, it's 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 relatively new for me. I like talking. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like I totally get that when people don't want to talk, it's like you know. That's the thing. Just people sometimes don't talk to themselves. I used to talk to myself on the way home from school because I yeah. didn't. I didn't have anyone to walk with because no one walked my way. So I'd just talk to myself out loud. And so you'd have all these adults look at you strangely, and I'm like, I'm perfectly normal. Like, don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> That's so cute. I know. It's like this little twelve-year-old just walking home, and I was like, oh. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, also, you know. You are someone who I would describe as thoroughly independent as well, and like, and you know, and a very strong like independent drive. Is that was that always come across as when you were a kid as well? Did your parents kind of expect you to sort of like turn out to be like the way you are now? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, they were very hands off, free range sort of parents, um, and they I was you know, pretty switched on from a young age. So I don't think they worried about me too much um, as compared to my other sibling. But um, yeah, uh, I think my my dad especially just like wanted me to do very well. Like he he would, he thought, okay, well, what are you going to be? Are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be a lawyer? Are you going to be like, and then I, so every week I was figuring, like I, from a very young age, I was like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do and it has to be great. And it was like, yeah, it was gonna be, I was going to be a doctor at one point. So I was reading through Grey's Anatomy when oh, I was God, like 11. Yeah. And then, you know, a psychiatrist or like a mathematician. I, I loved maths as a kid as well. Um, but then, yeah, uh, I don't know. Then something just sort of flipped where I, I, I had a problem with authority as well as love artists do. <laughs> I like, like school's fine and like I could get good grades, but I hated homework and yeah. I hated being told where I had to be, especially as you become more autonomous as a teenager. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need this for like, cause I, by that point I decided to be a filmmaker when I was like, I think I, I, so I'd been making films since I was 12, just for fun, for friends and stuff. But then at 15, it like, it solidified. 
And at mm. that point, I was done with like anything they wanted yeah. me to do or be. And I'm like, they're trying to say you need to do this and you shouldn't follow that risky career. You know, you should. <laughs> and I just knew that they were full of bullshit. And I'm like, you hate your life. Yeah. And so you're trying to tell me that that's the only option. So you don't feel worse about what you've chosen to do about to do with your life. And I'm like, I would I would honestly rather die than like and then commit myself to a job that I hate just yeah. out of security and. Like it just was never really an option for me, and I was like, I have, no, I'd never even. So as soon as I graduate, like graduated, I'd never even been to Sydney before. I'd never visited, but I knew that that's where the film scene yeah. is. So I moved, and I like with no intention of ever going back to Cairns, which is where I'm from. Um, <laughs> which is yeah. you don't strike me as a Cairns person. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like very hipster in a westy little <laughs> vibe. Um, yeah, strong feminist. You know, <laughs> was that, Gans does not strike me as a place like that. <laughs> no, not at all. No, that's why I like stayed inside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I look because I was born in New Zealand actually, yeah. I, and then I lived in Indonesia for five years, and then oh. so we moved to Cairns when I was like six. Wow. And then so I, I lived there until eighteen. So like not fully born and bred Cairns. Um, but look, in a way, like I, I, I'm grateful for a lot of just my life and stuff. And there is certain things, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. There is that though. I think it's maybe just when you're a teenager anyways, but in Cairns, um, just, just drinking and parties and bush yeah. jobs and, you know, it was just all about having fun and like, um, I don't know. But I just, there was no real culture in Cairns. Yeah. There wasn't really like the big art scene or film scene. Or I imagine if you grow up in Sydney City, going to like a really nice school, you're probably exposed to more cultural things. I don't know. <laughs> I just I mean, felt jealous of like big cities. To be yeah. Honest. I mean, like, yeah. I, I think I got a lot of my culture from just like, not from school, but more from my parents, which was, yeah. and my, some of my friends. But I, I, I definitely lived a very, white privileged life mm. for a long time until I realized what that actually entailed and then suddenly I opened my eyes up to a lot more sort of like later in high school and everything and just sort of but there was a you know like I had a learning disability so that was kind of like you know also on the other side but yeah I mean like I think for me it was yeah it was just kind of a learning over time and being like oh that's right um there's lots of different people in the world and you got to share this world. And there's like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of different cultures and a lot of different, and, and I also think that as much as I love the inner West, it's very white. It's, it's, extre- yeah. it's extremely <laughs> white. Um, and yeah, I mean like, it's great if you're like of uh, a queer or fe- pro-feminist or, you know, anything like that, you, you fit into the inner West. It's It's going to love you. There's pockets that are still a bit shit, but um, most of it is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I've never, I like, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because I, I feel like we are cultured in some ways and not cultured in other ways, especially in Sydney. It's a very yeah. divisive, but I do know what you mean where you kind of like look at the other side and you're like, the grass is greener over there. <laughs> and you're like, is it? I think, okay. I, I, I totally see your point and I, <laughs> I, I think that's, but compared to Cairns, I mm, think it's a mm. very definite one is better. Okay, than yeah, the I'll other. give you that. Cairns but, is a bit of a shithole, yeah. Um, <laughs> but hey, look, there's still, you know, there's beaches and stuff. I mean, I don't know. if I loved beaches, <laughs> sure. Um, but I'm like, I'm that movie going love kid, like you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think like 
for me, it was like, I don't fit the beaches vibe. I've never have. I'm pasty as fuck. Mm. And, <laughs> and I thought also I was just like, I think when everyone was like, yo, bro. And I was like, I cannot speak like classic bro talk. Nah, fuck that. Yeah. Fuck. Um, I was, I was raised on like uh, parents who were academics and, and like, you know, just were very polite and, uh, you know, spoke properly about like, and, and didn't, you know, spoke, when I say spoke properly, they used the entire fucking sentence. They didn't yeah. like shorten any words. Um, and I feel like, you know, there was a little bit of like, oh, okay, well, I grew up in an upper middle class sort of family. Great on that. But I definitely feel like, you know, in terms of like finding out my identity and everything throughout that, that took time. And that took meeting people mm. uh, outside of my family. Because I don't think I would have initially found who I was just sticking to my yeah. family and, and a small group of friends. It Do you to... think that's most people? I guess it's the I journey think so. of the prodigal yeah. son. Or yeah, gonna... I think that, I think that's the the most the most thing. Like, what was it like for you, just discovering who you were over time? Mm, yeah, I don't. Okay, yeah, because I sort of a lot sort of happened externally that I could point to as having changed me. But also, I think the biggest thing is just internally, like. Um, I was undiagnosed bipolar for mm. a long time. Like I only got on, um, I was diagnosed at 21, but then they got me on like just the wrong meds. And so it yeah. made me fat and suicidal. So I was like, I don't trust doctors. Oh so God. Finally, it took like another, you know, big um, manic depressive episode at 26 to finally get on like the right meds for me, which mm. is Lamictal. Um but it really is de dependent on each person. And that yeah. um, truly changed my life and made um, life just livable. Yeah. And so I was able to, because I hated myself because I, it was almost uncontrollable behavior and stuff. Like it could yeah. be really fun and manic and cool and I'm, you know, very sensitive and, and conscious of other people and stuff. But then when you, the flip side, you know, you're very, when you're depressed, you are quite self-obsessed and you just, because, you know. Yeah. Which is unflattering, and it, because you think, well, I'm in so much pain, nobody cares, all these things, everything's going wrong. You have this misperception of reality, and then every day is just like a roller coaster yeah. of like. And then having finally been on good meds, I'm like, oh my god, I can breathe. Yeah, <laughs> and I can finally unpack some of the shit that I did, <laughs> or like that happened to me because of this thing, and um. Yeah, I just feel like a, a stable, normal human being and I'm able to finally like be able to perceive who I am without yeah. um, just the roller coaster. And I'm, yeah, I, I like myself a lot more. Um, I'm grateful for that illness or, you know, uh, neurodivergence in a way because mm. I don't think I'd be the artist I am or the comedian yeah. I am without it. And a lot of great people do have bipolar and stuff, but um, yeah. Uh, it's just way better to 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 manage it though like i would yeah. never try and go unmedicated again at all like i understand because people have this perception of meds and stuff and i did too that you know like oh you're you're taking the easy way out or something but then it with bipolar especially bipolar if you're bipolar you're the the largest group that has the potential to kill themselves more than any other group yeah. of people you are more likely than anyone else and with a lot of depression, a lot of depression can be externally motivated. And if you remove those external influences, you, your mood can can lift, right? If you're in yeah. poverty, if you bring people out of poverty, 
some depression can go away. But with bipolar, it's it's just not externally. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fluctuating. So it's, fu- it's there no matter where you are, Yeah, you know. And, yeah, so I guess I've, yeah, figured out more who I am because I've, I've just quieted that the, the chaos. <laughs> I um, mean... Yeah, I think that's quite extraordinary as well because, like, I I have a father who has depression. Like, um, he takes all off, and I think I realized when I was about like grew up with ADHD, grew up with epilepsy, and I got to about like took medication for that. So all my life, I knew medication was kind of good for me. But I got to about seventeen, eighteen, I was like, no, I want to stop medication. I just want to not be taking drugs anymore. And my doctors were fine with it. They were like, yeah, no worries. And I got into, you know, like, I realized I was starting to feel very anxious more. And, like, I didn't really know what it was. And I didn't realize that I was actually feeling quite suicidal and depressed. And I couldn't really focus as clearly, like, on what was going on in my head. And I think it was, like, or maybe it was the side effect of you know, taking drugs that would have helped benefit, like, my mood flow. But I think also I wasn't a happy kid. I realized that growing up that I wasn't ever truly happy. And I realized that I had been un, um, undiagnosed with um, uh, anxiety and depression. And I got diagnosed with that. And I went to go and start seeing a psychologist and everything. But it, it did help massively. Because my doctors were even surprised. Like They were like, you're quite highly suicidal. Like, you've got a lot of suicidal thoughts. You're very, like, I remember, like, telling my psychologist this. But I remember walking around school with, like, just a knife in my pocket for a week. For a week, for an entire week, I was never going to do anything to anyone else, but it was the idea of what could I do to myself. Mm. And I think, you know, and I look to any kids that do go through this, it is traumatic when you think those things. And to anyone else, you know, like I'll put a warning on the episode so you're not going to get triggered <laughs> or anything. But I, I do think that that it is real. It is, it is very real. And when I explained that to my psychologist, she's just said, it was there in case for you like and she made it like me see feel so seen to why I was carrying this and I remember explaining to my best friend and she was just like she was worried but she was like I'm glad you didn't do anything and you know like and I I definitely think that since taking medication and you know and like being like sanctioned it has helped massively in terms of but I will never deny that I still go through days where I'm like, God, why am I still alive? Like, yeah. fuck, fuck me. Like, um, you know, cause there's part of me that also deep somewhere in the back of my brain that doesn't want to be here, like mm. doesn't want to exist. And that might be hard for people to swallow, Yeah, but that's, that's the reality. And that is the life that I will continuously live until the day I die. Yeah, And, you know, and for yourself, which is, you know, like, will also constantly wax and wane in terms of what mood you're in. Is that something that you sort of find hard to explain to people that you still have those thoughts occasionally? Um, well, what you just said is 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 interesting because I've totally I felt that too. There's always that part of me from a very young age as well that was like I didn't I didn't agree to this or I felt yeah. like I didn't. And I'm like, why? And you just have just to be alive. You got to eat. You got to drink. You got to find shelter. You got to work. You got to like all these things that like you know for maybe your average person is like oh yep you know that's you just get on with it and it's just like but it feels just almost something you have to existentially grapple with if yeah. you're a certain kind of person. And like you know the uh, Camus book um the myth myth of Sisyphus. I don't know, all? but it rings a bell. Um yeah, so he 
just it's just the you know the the famous method the the Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill. Oh yes, and yes, it yes, rolling yes, back yes. down, and that's that sort of life in a way is that that you you try to achieve things and then it just rolls back down. But Camus' sort of idea behind that was you must imagine Sisyphus happy because that's yeah. the only way to be happy in this existence. While it is pointless and it will just roll back down again, you must enjoy the struggle. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of all there really is, is yeah. like, yeah. So anyways, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I just, I think I've figured out how to want to be alive. Yeah. Um, just through, uh, I, I think learning and specialization and stuff, um, reading and consuming and, and figuring out specifically what I, I, I can do and want to do. Yeah. Because, um. I don't know, like, yeah, with co- going into comedy or film or whatever, I feel like I'm moving towards something. What can I specifically me uh, express in yeah. this world? Um, I just don't think I could be a general sort of cog in the machine sort of thing because, like, I, it's already, like, I could die. Like, I don't yeah. care. So why would I, if I'm choosing to exist and be here when I could so easily not, yeah. and I don't think I'm going to go to hell or anything. So it's not like that's a deterrent. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just like, well, fuck, um, I'm, ch- I'm choosing to say yes to yeah. existence. So what am I saying yes to? And it's like, like what, well, whatever I want, you know, and mm. I'm, I don't need some religious morality not to hurt other people. You know, I don't, I don't want to hurt other people just cause like it's a better existence not to, yeah. you know, that, that whole thing, um, as well. But yeah. I don't, yeah, it, it takes a while to figure out, but for me, I'm, I think I'm sort of getting there. Is like I want to, I want to live a wondrous, am- amazing life where I travel the world and I make people laugh and I present them with film that yeah. moves people. And I'm like, oh man, what a dream! And sometimes I look around and think where I was when I was 12 or whatever, and what I imagined for my future, and I'm so grateful. Like I've, yeah. I've failed so much, but yet just. You know, like I, just things like acting and things and running a comedy show and being on stage in front of hundreds of people or like, I don't know, like it's and then it can only, you know, I mean, it could go down from here, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it could also go up. So. I mean, I, that's also the thing. It's like, you know, you just can't predict. And I feel like people yeah. are trying to predict in this COVID environment world. And I like, you know. This is the thing. I, I, I got to a point where I stopped listening to my mother about these yeah. things. Because, you know, I remember when I told her that I started this podcast and she was like, how, how long are the episodes? And it was about an hour and a half. And she was like, oh, can you get them down to 30 minutes? Like, <laughs> Fuck no. Um, and I love you, mum. But <laughs> but seriously, like, I, I just felt like I was listening to a lot of people talking about stuff that didn't feel genuine to me. And I think, like, the one thing that's blessing about this is meeting people like yourself who are genuine, who are like, you know, this is who I am and this is the struggles I've gone through. Because I feel like, yeah, we we live our world through these rose-coloured glasses most of the time. And the bullshit that our government tries to spit out and say, you know, like, I think... That, and I say this every episode nowadays because I absolutely hate the government at the moment. But <laughs> it's it is run by morons. It is run yes, entirely absolutely. corrupt morons. Corrupt morons. Um, and some very smart corrupt people. <laughs> like some very smart corrupt people. But um, it you know like the fact that we had to vote for a plebiscite for legalizing you know gay marriage and yeah. anything like that, and the fact that you know they didn't care about health in regards to the economy. 
and just shit like that, like the fact that hospital workers were underpaid and, you know. And there's uh, no federal ICAC. No, no, no. And I think, you know, in, in terms of mental health, yes, the you know, you could go and see a psychologist, you know, 20 times into the year, average 10, great. But I want to be frank, like not, you know, not everyone's had the best experience when it comes to getting help with their mental health. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people I know have struggled with it their entire lives by not being feared of, you know, professional help and, you know, obviously having bad experiences with doctors and everything like that. And, you know, um, I think it's a hard thing because I remember, I I think, you know, like um, I used to want to feel like I was, you know, the problem. I think it was part of my brain where I used to want to feel like that. Like mm-hmm. I was part of this big problem and I didn't deserve anyone, you know, anyone or anything nice. And that has changed massively. But it took Good. a while to change because yeah. I thought I deserved all the shit that happened in the world. Like that, you know, because in high school, people used to blame me for things that weren't even my fault. Like people used to blame me for things that were completely like irrelevant to me. But it was because it was easy and I was an easy target. And I would get upset by it. So, therefore, it was just okay for them to do it because then they didn't have to comprehend that it was actually their fault. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think that has any – I think, like, bullying and stuff, like, and like psychological help. I have a self-deprecating humor and black streak to my myself, but I definitely think – that a lot of the experiences that I had in high school were really awful. Like, and I don't sort of gloss over that, but I think they also shaped me and why I, do, I have like probably like two friends that are my entire school mm-hmm. years that I actually keep in contact with. And that's it. Like, I don't have this long string that some people seem to have. Yeah, that's like, wild. I yeah. don't talk to anyone from high school. <laughs> like I have one that who was, she wasn't, she didn't even go to my high school though. We went to separate schools, but she's the one that I would, I we check in once every six months or something. Mm. But yeah, no, I get that. So, yeah. yeah. It's like, were you incredibly bullied though? No, I wouldn't say incredibly. Um, yeah. I had my moments. I was I was never part of the the jockey popular group, but I was part of the sort of alt popular group mm. like that would go to gigs on weekends and stuff and had MySpace profiles. Oh, how good was MySpace? Or whatever. Yeah. Always Tom. Tom's, Tom, you're the best. <laughs> um, yeah. But I got bullied for being, I was a bit weird. Like I was just awkward and strange and thought and a bit, of a different way but I was sort of cute so some popular guys would be into me but then I would you know I was such a freak that they'd almost be embarrassed about their interest what, in me what, what? <laughs> you know what I mean that's what, what I felt. what was the weirdest part about you I don't I, I don't know you know we always see ourselves as such freaks or whatever but yeah. um I don't know I just I like I, I guess I, was, I was, I'd make a lot of I found things funny that I guess most other people didn't or I would make yeah I would make the the the, I, I I guess I'd roast people a lot, but I meant it in a nice way. But that, that would get me in trouble. But because like I I generally thought it was the funniest thing to say. Yeah. And, but yet in high school, everyone's so you know self conscious and like I don't know. You don't strike I, me as someone who's self conscious now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, not really. You're wearing a moisturizer masturbate t shirt, yeah. so I'm 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 loving that so much. Thank you. Um, so they're both very important. They're very important. <laughs> like if you need both, do both. Don't do it. Like don't. I don't know if you should apply both at the same time. That's probably a very big juggling act. But yeah, both are great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I like. I I think that. Yeah, because you strike me as like an in-between kind of person. You're very like confident, but also 
like awkward and weird, <laughs> and it and it complements each other great, which I because I'm awkward and weird, <laughs> so it's a match made in heaven. But I mean, like, did you find that people found it? Like, do people find you very like just confronting still to this day? Like that that you put people and just go because not not like I will say this normally like people you know don't assume that women talk obviously about sex mm. as a predominant like thing or you know or go into comedy that much mm-hmm. like that's also another like is that, is that something that you you know kind of find both worlds kind of shock people um yeah that's in, that's interesting i'm not i'm not really sure i uh actually cuz when I first started comedy, yeah, most of my bits were sort of uh, I have this like flirty, little, little sexy persona thing, but also again a bit like awkward about it. And I actually tried to for a while just fully step away from that and yeah. try to do more intellectual jokes and stuff, <laughs> and like you not know, talk about sex because there's also this idea that that's all all women comics just talk yeah. about sex, even though oh my god, listen to half of like all dudes comedy, there is like at least one dick joke in there, you know. It's not, if not one dick, it's <laughs> ten dick jokes. Like, yeah. and part of late, you know, comedy clubs, you know, people are drinking late night. There's a, a sex stuff is fun. It's titillating. It's you go out after work and you can hear some raunchy stuff like I've I've finally learned that that's you know I accept that about myself and I can do um uh both in a way I I've there is definitely still sexism in the comedy scene yeah I think there is also it's not just about women it's also about uh queer people people Mm. of color that that um straight white men or whatever who've had the floor for a while suddenly feel like they're there's the walls are closing in yeah almost and there are less opportunities for them which it might be true but it's just it's becoming a more level playing field in a way even Mm. if it is um proactive or whatever where you want to look for someone to fill a spot because, oh, oh, I've got an all-white lineup. I should probably look and seek out and see if there's a person of color. I don't think that's necessarily bad, even though you're aware aware of that prejudice because it's like maybe, you know, the predominantly straight white male room runners or whatever, they they go, oh, I book what's funny. And it's like, but do you ever try and seek out people that don't align, you know? So it's it's an interesting um, time, but I've been told that, you know, it's easier for women now. Women get better, uh, more spots early on and all this stuff. And like that, yeah, I, I don't know. And then it's it's like, okay, but there's still, I've for a while I was keeping track of how many um, comedy nights I was the only woman on the lineup. Yeah. And it was about 50%. Wow. So, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, like I think that we are getting noticed more and we're getting more opportunities, yeah. but it's just, be. it seems like, much more than it is because it's gone from you know almost zero to yeah. some in a yeah. way. But most of the time, I'm the only girl <laughs> on the lineup. Still. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I like, um, yeah, and I mean that's hard. You know, obviously, um, like only only a few years ago, I came out like I came out as bi, and I sort of like definitely fit in the queer community. But I mean, like even then, I'd. Look, I always grew up in the mentality of like, oh, I didn't fit the male like mold. I never did. I never understood why guys wanted the center of attention kind of bullshit. And I like I grew up with a very like I grew up with so many female friends and everything. So it was like so natural to have so many honest conversations with female friends and then be surprised that they weren't in the limelight. Like mm-hmm. 
you know, the guys that they knew or, you know, dated shitheads or anything like that. And I feel like, like now it is changing because, you know, obviously like I know a lot of um, very funny women and, um, but I also feel like, you know, like if, even if you're trans, even if you're like uh, non-binary, it's like you going into this world and people are still going to prejudice you regardless because that sort of like the scene has been for the last 50 years male dominated and yeah. male white dominated as well which is just you know like and as funny as i think some of my white male friends are yeah. they shouldn't be the entirety of the center of the focus they should share it but they yeah. don't know how to i think a lot of the time they're not taught to how to share mm. would you agree with that yeah, I think so as well because it's um because if they got the majority of the opportunities, you can kind of get by by being mediocre. But now yeah. all of a sudden, all the spots for you know your demographic or you know like these people's demographic is reduced. It, there's more competition, and suddenly yeah. you're feeling like. But this is what everyone's felt like. Yeah. you're confronted with it's harder. It is harder for them now. And, um, but that's not a bad thing, you know, and I I think that then you just can't get by being a mediocre white dude anymore. You know, they've got to, I don't know, bring something else to the table, an interesting perspective, um, something unique or just, just, just have to work harder, which is what every other sort of group has had to do. Um, but also I'm not down on straight white men at all. (laughs) Like I don't want to be that person because I, I love, I love them. You know, there's a lot of uh, straight white men that are in my life that I love and like they're yeah. really good people. Um, it's no, just, and we're definitely yeah. not dissing them. Or no. anything like, but yeah. it, it is, you know, it is such a far long time as prominently like, you know, if you were a guy or, you know, if you definitely, although funny the thing is like a lot of male performers who ended up coming out as gay or bi, you know, had to fake being straight to yeah. get a, a head in life as well. And I think, you know, that is the time is changing. Like, I think, you know, like actors like Neil Patrick Harris now can do anything he wants because mm. basically it doesn't matter what sexuality he likes. He can just do what he wants. But, and I feel like, you know, non-binary and trans people can do that a lot more than they used to be able to. It's it's still not a perfect world, yeah. but it, it is developing. And I think, you know, but do you, do you find that like people try and, box you when it comes to your performances as well when when it like with heckling as well um yeah I think you're as a comic especially you're hyper aware of how you present on stage and early on I went through a few different almost personas you know like should I dress like sexy should I wear a dress or should I just dress down and wear a jumper and whatever when you see someone on the street or you see a comic go up, you're immediately judging what they're wearing or who they might be. Yeah. And then part of that that comedy is maybe subverting that expectation. Yeah. Or what do you have that's interesting? That's why a lot of comics, they start with, well, this is what I look like, you know, and yeah. they make a joke on that because it's everyone's first assessment of you. Yeah. Um. So I, and as well for my whole life, I kind of, it's kind of gross to talk about because it's like, it's about like how you look or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I just felt somewhat objectified from a young age and, um, what people expected of me was to be like, um, a bit dumb or just, you know, like I'm privileged or pretty privileged and those things. Um, and then that's why I was like with film, like I'm going to be behind the scenes. I'm not going to be, I want to subvert people's expectations of that because I don't, 
um, I don't identify as a sort of ditzy movie style, you know, um, cute girl or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be perceived as smart, but but then it's also like, yeah. So I guess that with my comedy, I I try to I want to be like confident. I think people should embrace who they are, no matter what, and everything, and and love yourself. Mm. But also, it's I think how you look is the the least important thing about yeah. anyone. <laughs> no, and I and I feel like you know. Uh, it, it's the way of the world it's like you know you're you're essentially you're tall you're pretty so therefore you'll fit you know right in this box of being like you know a sex symbol without meaning to be a sex symbol because people put you in there and and it's the downside is it doesn't matter what you wear someone will still try and put you into that category mm. because of perceiving you that way or whatever and you know obviously that's not your fault that's yeah. nothing to do with how you should act in front of anyone but society makes it your problem Mm. which you know like i i find incredibly frustrating (laughs) like is that bother you like to a varying degree well it's interesting because um yeah again i feel almost awkward talking about it because people think oh you should never complain about being pretty or whatever because it's like you know so many people just want to be a notch yeah. or whatever still I do I have insecurities about my body and everything but you just talking there made me think of you know Ma- Marilyn Monroe yeah. who uh you know way beyond my c- capabilities just a beautiful just you know uh what's the the word <laughs> um sex bomb or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. um and she was actually she was so focused on being a good actor she yeah. took so much classes she was really fo- she wanted to be perceived as a great actor but she was constantly just reduced and objectified to this this um beautiful actress who would was willing to sleep sleep around in order to get you know uh roles which was the only way you could really do it back then any yeah. actress that said no you'd never heard heard about them ever again and so she was really she was a smart w- driven woman doing what she could to get ahead in her career it just so happened that sex was involved and her image was involved and everything yeah. but i think that almost trapped her a little yeah, bit yeah 100% um so it's like you see on instagram as well a lot of what can make you immediately perceived as successful or famous or have heaps of followers is showing off your body or you know like and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that it's it, you know i'm very body positive and great but um i realized that oh this i could maybe do that whole thing but it wouldn't be authentic to me yeah you know i could show my ass to camera or do that thing but that i would be again i'd be awkward and weird about it i think that girls who who embrace that and do it they're so cool yeah but i don't feel i should have to follow that track and no. then, but i think that the track i want to follow is something that maybe takes a bit more time to be respected for yeah in a sense <laughs> it was it, you made me think of uh scarlett johansson uh, in you know Marvel's first Avengers, yeah, and the poster has every one of the guys facing the front, oh. and her body is half turned with her ass perked yeah. up, looking behind her shoulder like slightly down. Yeah, Ugh. and it's just like that's right. They painted her as a sex symbol. I think only poster that doesn't paint her as a sex symbol would be her own movie poster, and I think the last two Avengers films because one they weren't run by Joss Whedon who ended up being a massive creep anyway in the industry. And um, that's a shame because he wrote some awesome female characters. Mm. And 
I think too, it was like she had much more creative control over it and she, you know, how she'd wear her hair and everything like that. It was messy. It was constantly not perfect. Mm. And I think, yeah, when you're not staring through the male gaze all the time, yeah. it's suddenly like, oh, you know, that, that you know, people are normal and, and can wear whatever the fuck they want. And I honestly think that, yeah, there is an objectification for and this is the thing it's an objectification at a, such a young age for girls as well mm-hmm. like it you know like the moment girls hit puberty and i saw this documentary about modeling and it scared the bejeebas <laughs> out of me it scared the bejeebas like we were watching this girl like these two one person i can't remember the name of um, the person hosting it for life of me but they went out and uh looked at models and um she had been a model herself and what happened was they were looking at models going around and working out what criteria and some were too tall, some were too short, but they'd scout young women like 14, 15, give them cards and go, yeah, you're perfect for this. Yeah. And then just give false like fucking ideology into their heads. Yeah. Like how did, did you have any of that pressure growing? Like, yeah. Yeah. I got scouted um, like a couple of times, the whole card handover thing. Um, and then I did a few like, beauty pageants sort mm. of stuff but uh and some uh what's it called where it's oh my god why can't i think of the word where you're in a magazine yeah it's yeah, a yeah, certain yeah. word and it's not catwalk but it's the other one features Anyways, yeah yeah i did a bit of that but then i yeah early on i was oh i felt so bad about it it was just so there were definitely just prettier girls than me and then you just feel self-conscious and like oh what can i do to, to do that and be that and i wanted to be for a while just just praised for I think it also came from my dad was one of those fathers that was like oh someone got hit with the the beauty fairy dust while they were asleep or you know you wake up and he's like oh you're so beautiful you know like he'd always praise me for being pretty and and cute and all these things in a you know and then so when your dad gives you positive you know feedback for how you look you think well that's what I've got to do like I've got to be perceived as the prettiest and it was just so it was yeah it was a it was a bad world, but I, I very quickly caught on to that. And I was like, I would, I would never have made it anyways as like a supermodel. But um, I'm, yeah, I bowed out <laughs> pretty early on. And then after that was like, well, I'm going to almost uh, just go the other way. Yeah. You know, like how you kind of want to piss off your parents a little bit. Well, if my dad thinks I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm going to shave my head. <laughs> oh, and did you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went that route for a little bit. Shaved nice. my head. I got lots of piercings. I <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I just rebelled a little bit. I wanted to be, I guess, and it was interesting because I did notice the the creepy leering from strangers on the street or whatever did, definitely stopped. You know, there was interesting the, the way I was perceived by strangers shifted completely, mm. and that was why I kind of did it. I just wanted to experiment and see because you can't. Just by existing in this world, you're constantly just perceived by strangers and you're never yeah. really aware of just how you look and how you present is a huge part of how you're sort of treated by other yeah. people, which I I definitely found when I shaved my head and became this other thing um, for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, but, doesn't, it doesn't make it easy as well. And I feel like, you know, I used to think that like I used to dye my hair and do all sorts of stuff and I think people thought 
odd of me to do so like mm. but I feel like yeah it was it was very much like my friends who did that like a lot of my friends had short hair or long hair or like that different colored hair and it was just you know like Newtown was just you know do whatever the fuck you want yeah. but people still had judgment over them of like what they were wearing what you know how they looked like I remember one of my best friends she came uh we were gonna have lunch together and she rode all the way to like where I was studying we were filming in this sort of house back when I'm doing a student film and she rode her bike all the way to there and then we were going to ride our bikes to where we were going and I remember even the teacher commented on how pretty she looked and I was like yeah you're a 40 year old man that's mm. kind of weird like weird like early 20s yeah bit fucked up <laughs> a little bit fucked up and I just felt weird because I find it uncomfortable when people perv on my like friends or romanticize my friends I find it really incredibly uncomfortable and I never know what to do with it and I sometimes just quietly tell that person hey don't Mm, yeah you know if you're gonna make any comments keep them to yourself yeah like probably better safe than sorry because they don't appreciate and I don't appreciate it um but I I definitely also am one of those people who doesn't want to step on people's toes like say if my friend has gone oh don't say anything I won't because, you know, like, it, I yeah. want to respect them because they are my friend and I'm not going to say anything if they don't want me to cause a fuss. Because yeah. sometimes it does fucking hit the back of them. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. like, that's always a bit of a, like, you, you're caught between a rock and a hard place sometimes. Yeah. We've just been like, Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's weird because especially, you know, when you're in public and a guy you know comes up to you to ask you out or whatever you're at the grocery store you're walking home from the train station or something and all of a sudden there's this thing you know that you have to kind of deal with and you can't just say no because they'll get angry or you know there's they get rejected or there's all of a sudden you there's a situation that you have to because I I try to be a kind person as well so (laughs) I'm generally pretty friendly like I'll, I'll have a little conversation with them. The easiest, yeah. unfortunately, the easiest way to get them to sort of stop bothering you is to say you have a boyfriend, <laughs> even if you don't. And like, it's just, I found, I've tried to go, go the other way and be like honest. I'm like, look, I'm just not really interested or whatever. And you know, I've gotten anger. I've gotten you fucking bitch or whatever. I've gotten, you know, and then it's just, but if you say oh, I have a boyfriend, they'd be like, oh no, I, you know, I respect that. I respect him. You know, I'm not going to go on his territory or something, you know? His territory. <laughs> yeah. Why fucking God? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I had this one guy, I was in Newtown actually, and I was just, I was power walking to actually get to like, I don't know if I should say, but my weed dealer. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Mm. <laughs> um, but this guy, uh, so I was, I was power, I needed to get there. And then this guy was, oh, hey, hey, excuse me. And I'm like, oh, what? He's like, you dropped something. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. What? Sorry. Thank you. And he was like, your number. And he was like, he's, he was in his, again, like late forties. His boys were around. They were like, oh, that was pretty clever. And I'm like, can you just, I'm sorry. I'm just walking somewhere. Can you leave me alone? And he was like, oh, you're so rude. Wow. You're so rude. Like I was just being nice. Wow. And like just this whole thing. And I don't know. I just, they feel totally okay to, I don't, it's tricky because I think people should sort of shoot their shot, but also don't we have places that are for dating like yeah. clubbing or pubs or, you know, going out with the the idea of social interaction or, yeah. you know, using Tinder or whatever. 
I just think when people come out of nowhere and you're like, I'm at the, I'm just shopping. Like I'm at the grocery store. I'm trying to get eggs. Like I didn't agree to participate in your life narrative. You know yeah. It's I mean? like, I'm not going to join this. Bye-bye, <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. Um, like I've definitely had, like I've smiled and flirted with people before, mm. but I've never actively gone, you know what? I'm going to give them my number or like, and if I have, and I haven't heard back from them, what do you fucking do? Like, you know, I'm going to yeah. leave that chapter alone. Yeah. I think, and there's, because the, the other day I was waiting for a hairdresser appointment and this guy started talking to me in the park and I had headphones on, but I took them off and I was nice to him and we had a nice little chat about the weather and everything. And that was, you know, totally fine. I knew that he was going to get there at the end of the combo, but I was still like, you know what? He's sweet. And then at the end he did, he said, oh, you know, do you have a boyfriend? And I, I actually do. So yeah, I said yes. And he was like, oh, no worries. Well, thanks for this conversation. I'm like, you know what? You have a great day. And he's like, you too. And that's absolutely fine. Like, I'm not going to like be like, I don't ever want people to talk to me. Totally. Like, yeah. I'll be nice. So you can have a nice little chat with a stranger. And then they, you know, they respect that you, you're not interested. But yeah. I, so I, yeah. I don't want people just to never talk to anyone, you know? It's I think, shoot your shot. But Yeah, just give it a try. But I mean, yeah. like, I remember the worst experience one of my friends did for me. Fucking hell. <laughs> uh, so we were we were at his birthday and we were at a restaurant. And there were two, these two cute, like, waitresses. And I was like, they were twins. I think they were Canadian. And I was like, oh, cute. And I couldn't remember which life of me and which one I liked because we didn't actually get to introduce our names. And, yeah. the, like, I was awkward. I was probably about, like, 21. I was like, oh, God, no, no, you know, this is super weird and everything. And anyway, they're at work, so fuck it. Like, I don't want to talk, you know, interrupt them, make them, you know, night. And my friend was like, oh, yeah, I'll go and ask one of them for you. And so did. Yeah. And I was like, that's nice. And then the restaurant owner dragged my ass back inside and forcibly made me get her number. <laughs> and I felt more uncomfortable from that because clearly she wasn't actually interested. Yeah. And she didn't want to be a participant of this either. And I just felt like, oh, my God, this is the worst experience oh, ever. Oh, no. And she was lovely, but she was just like, I was like, I know this isn't. You know, and then when yeah. I did call her number, she completely forgot who I was. And I was oh, like, right. and I was like, yeah. yeah, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think those that sort of, I think it's better though to have again, sh like shot your shot, you know, because I've done that. I've I'm like cool with being rejected. Like I've definitely yeah. asked out. I think more men that have asked me out. I think so. I think, and I've been rejected a bunch of times, and it's like. That's okay. And it, I know you feel maybe like, oh, a little cringe thinking about that. But no, I no, no. Oh, great. Because, you know, it just is part of it. It's part of dating. It's trying to figure out who's interested or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not a cringe kind of okay, person. Because <laughs> I think that stuff's kind of, yeah, it's funny how people get, yeah, these awkward scenarios or whatever. They, the manager tries to take it upon himself to like. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's like, you know, also I've, you know, I've been flirted with and I flirt with people, you know. And I, I'm in a very happy relationship. And I still do that because I'm a very flirty person. Yeah. And it's just naturally yeah. how I respond to things. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I've, I'm in a very happy relationship. And that doesn't, you know, like if someone wants to flirt with me, that's fine. That's really pleasant. Like I've had that happen at restaurants and workplaces. Like, yeah. you know, just it's nice banter. Cool. Nice conversation. I got a partner though. Or I become friends with that person. Absolutely, like, you know, nice as well. But I don't think, yeah, as long as you're a nice fucking person, I'm not going to really be like, nah, not worth my time. Yeah. Fuck that person. Yeah. Like, not at all. And I think, 
I think that just shows a level of respect. But yeah, like there are some people out there who just have no respect if you have, um, if you're like, I'm not interested. And they're like, fuck you. Yeah. Like it's, it's stupid. It's, yeah. it's stupid. I mean, like I'm trying to think of the worst experiences I've had. <laughs> um, I've definitely had like, I think in terms of like uh, consent though, mm. um, I've definitely had situations where I didn't consent to. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a changing thing of like, consent being a yes or no thing um because i've definitely dated people that that even in relationships have not consented to what's happened absolutely (laughs) like yeah like i dated this one guy and yeah it was just first time i'd ever felt really uncomfortable with what happened and no Mm. didn't go as a definite no it was sort of like he didn't take it as a definite no yeah he took it as a oh maybe you're still interested in like no no, no, definitely a hundred percent not. Like, but he didn't take that at all, and yeah. he didn't listen. And I feel like that was violating my right as an individual. And you know, people, people. I think also people don't realize that you know, being assaulted or anything like that. You know, whether you're in a happens more often when you know the person than when you don't. Yeah, like that, and that's a very confronting thing. Has like that confrontingly happened to you, unfortunately? Or? Um, yeah. Uh, kind of the biggest sort of defining moment of my life was yeah. in an abusive relationship when I was 20. I, I talk about it a bit on stage. I'm actually working on my first hour. is sort of going to be about sort of what yeah. happened with him. But, yeah, no, I um, fell completely in love with this guy and, you know, we lived in a warehouse together in Marrickville and, you know, mm. that sort of stuff. Um, oh, God. Yeah, no, he – narcissist sort of gaslighting very um intelligent so they can lure yeah. you in with that and make you think you're you're special and because he's so smart and he he chose me and like mm. he's so revered or whatever when it was yeah he was almost like a cult leader to be honest and um <laughs> did he have a tribal crown as well like did he just walk out and just wear the kkk outfit and it was like oh wow okay yeah. this is my nightgown does <laughs> yeah not quite <laughs> uh, no but um yeah no he um, f- started off, you know, very emotionally abusive, mm. like not not letting me sleep sometimes, that sort of thing, wow. threatening to kick me out with all my stuff on the street. And then it became, yeah, physically abusive. And like, yeah, he one time like choked me up against a wall, like lifted me up off of wow. my feet. I felt myself passing out or he hit me with his belt a few times and stuff because we were in a fight and – you know, I just felt so trapped because he'd removed, he'd gotten me to remove myself from my friends, from my yeah. family. You know, they isolate you. Um, I felt if he kicked me out, like I'd have nowhere to go. Like there was just, it was like a trap. It was like a nightmare. Mm. Um, and that, you know, when I was 21 led to a psychotic break, like from lack of sleep, like abuse, all these things, mm. um, which is where you know, I, I like lost like my mind. I went, I was schizophrenic for a bit and mm. like had to be hospitalized and all these things. And it's even, it's m- more dramatic than that, but you know, I'll leave that for another time. <laughs> but um, that's where I was first sort of, you know, diagnosed with bipolar and stuff. Um, and yeah, so definitely 
non-consensual you know abuse and stuff but he put it he he intellectualized it or made it into this thing that we know we're just avant-garde you know yeah and we're just experimenting and we're beyond societal conformities um (laughs) you triggered oh my god that reminds me of my ex uh I like I was 2019 it's like I've I've been in two abusive relationships of sort of varying different kinds Mm. and definitely like one of them was the worst and but both of them did the isolating thing that I didn't realize isolating from my parents isolating from my friends and family and it's just suddenly you're just like your entire dependency and if I didn't answer a phone call they get angry and all this stuff and yeah they did choke me and and Mm. like you know I think it was like any time I hung out with another girl, they were like jealous of like, they were like, oh, you fucking them and you cheating on me. So it was always constant emotional abuse. And then they'd apologize and say, no, no, it's fine. And just, you know, that constant back and forth in your brain would just not be able to comprehend it. And I was so like lack of sleep. I'd have mostly like three hours a night or four hours a night. Like, so I was constantly tired, constantly distancing myself from friends and family and to the point yeah it was just like you know that i used to think that everything was my fault and i wasn't good enough and you know like shit like that but it's yeah it when you're in that stuff and you know it people don't necessarily believe you Mm -hmm. it's it's very hard to say to you know to be like believed in scenarios like that have you found it easy or have you found it no it was it was hard um also, because I guess, yeah, I was like 20, 21, and I think people just thought I was just just dumb and annoying or whatever. Like, if they mm. they hated him. Most people agreed he was a dickhead. But then I was an idiot for dating him. You know, like, I was, ugh. I know, right? Like, fuck like, this bitch. Like, ugh, fuck both of them. You know? And I was, like, bruised and, and, and getting drunk. I mean, like, like, telling people, like, he's, like, hurting me and stuff. And, like, just trying to get help, crying out for help. And it was just people could not be bothered. Yeah. People in the warehouse as well would hear him screaming at me Mm. and hitting things and banging. And they would just stay in their rooms. And, yeah, he one time slapped me in front of everyone. Wow. And nobody said anything. And I just, that's, I walked out and, like, I left. And that's when I, like, broke up with him for a little bit. But, you know, I ended up coming back. Isn't that the thing as well? Like, people don't understand why you go back, but you sort of feel... Like this, you know that. Well, they made they made themselves your whole world. They gave like I, mm. that's where I got a lot of my validation. Even though I got it also the opposite. Um, he he was so obsessed with me in a way that made me feel special. And then without that, I was just broken and traumatized. Yeah. And nothing was going well, and nobody really cared the way he did. Even though that's obsessive and gaslighting and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I would never. I thought he was it for me that that was my soulmate as abusive and shit as it was I thought well he's the only one who's ever truly understood me but he didn't he didn't understand me he put me in a box and a narrative and he told me who I was even though that wasn't who I was so yeah (laughs) I mean like and that's fucked like you seem to me like such a nice genuine human and but you know I can like I know what it's like to be boxed in as well and, mm. and you know, through different perspectives and stuff. And I, I I didn't get physically abused that much, but I did get emotionally abused a mm. heck of a lot to my self-worth was like nothing. And it's taken me like a pandemic actually yeah. to build myself up. 
But, you know, I just spent six months alone in this apartment. And, you know, there were days went by where I was like, I shouldn't, you know, I, I, you know, I was on the phone to her three months after we um, officially stopped seeing each other. And we were still talking and she was talking about getting back together and everything like this. And, like, eventually uh, we, like, it was my birthday and she called me on my birthday and asked me for money. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. And she hadn't remembered it was my birthday. And the whole day went by. And then I was out to dinner with friends and she called me again. She was like, fuck, shit, it's your birthday, isn't it? I forgot it was your birthday. And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, And it instantly clicked for me that it wasn't important. Like, My life was not important to her. I was just a bank account. I was uh, a n- means to an end for her, not a person. And mm. I was convenient because I was in a well-paid job and she wasn't. Like, yeah. I had the consistent money. So a lot of my finance went into helping her. And then I was just able to afford rent. And stuff like that. And even we didn't even. after you were broken up. Yeah, wow. for a couple of months after because yeah. I was just so afraid of her coming back and, you know, making my life miserably. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that happened for three months until I went, nah, fuck it, I'm not talking to you. And she would send this emotionally abusive text and say, you're horrible and you didn't, you lied to me and you're all these horrible things. And I was like, you know what? Bye. Like, <laughs> I just straight up went, no, nah, not talking. I'm not responding, blocking your number. And then, yeah, I never heard from her again. That's really what you have to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It takes a while, but um, yeah. I made the mistake though of, <laughs> so I'd, yeah, I I decided to like block him and get him out of my life and stuff. And a few years went by and then I just like went through who I'd blocked on my block list and I just kind of unblocked everyone thinking, oh no, I don't need to, it'll be fine. But then he immediately like contacted me and was like, hey, <laughs> yeah and then so this is like six months ago and i was like what do you want and then because well i should have just blocked him immediately you know asking what he wants is still a little bit like i don't know i don't know what it was but then he so he said you know i just want to know how you are and he like turned on the charm again trying to make you seem innocent and just like you know and I was so angry. All these things came up in me and I mm. should have just like blocked him and not done it. But I said like a massive, almost an essay. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like anger and just like, you know, you're lucky I never went to the cops. Like yeah, all yeah, these yeah. things. Um, and then I, I said like, I, you know, I make jokes about you on stage. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> These, you know, I'm doing really great. How are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, that's sarcastic. I don't care. <laughs> All of the things that I could never get away with when we were together just sort of came out. And then um, and then I blocked him. And then I'm like, look, even though he doesn't really deserve my pity, I did feel slightly bad because, I don't know, it was quite mean. So I, then I created a whole new Facebook profile, like with a um, – just to message him and just – and be a bit more, like, level And I was like, look, you know, potentially I was a bit emotional with that last message. Uh, I don't want to talk to you again. I, I think I tried to put the nail in the coffin with that message. But I do honestly wish you the best and I hope you, you know, figure out your shit or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I blocked him on that too. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't ever want a response for him, from him, but yeah. I just thought the first message was p- potentially a little harsh, even though he's <laughs> abusive dickhead asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, a part of me worried, like, 
I don't want him to try and like seek revenge or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're living in fear and and shit like that. I re- really at one point thought he might not because of this, but when we were sort of off and on again, I f- I was afraid that he was going to find me and like hurt me because one time when we were in a breakup and I'd blocked him on things, um, I was just walking down the street and mm. this car stops at the lights and he jumps out and runs towards me. <laughs> He'd seen me on this street. And so he jumps out of his friend's car just to like run up to me and be like, Hey, Oh my God. And stuff. And then that led to us getting back together, you know, him jumping out and confronting me on the street. Um, wow. So I don't know. He just would pop up, you know, isn't that terrifying? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never want to go anywhere near like my exes in a million years. Mm. Um, I've only ever had one good breakup and uh, I just don't talk to her anymore because she didn't want to continue being friends, which is totally valid. Yeah. You know, some people just don't do well after breakups mm. um, in terms of keeping friends in touch with their exes. But the other two, completely, they never want to talk to her again. And yeah. I'm very happy that I've still got them blocked on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck that. Um yeah, and I just think it's also like a prime example of my parents really being a very good judge of character. They didn't like both of those exes and they only met one of them. They didn't meet the other one. Um, mm. I just basically, I, I, for some reason, I think I knew that it was so toxic that I didn't even want my parents to meet yeah. the person I was with. I was like, this is two separate worlds and I know that if they meet, oh, it's going to all crumble and fucking destroy and self-destruct. Uh, but yeah, they've met my current partner and they love her and think she's amazing. But it's sort of like, you know, I definitely think that, you know, there's always a part of us that will feel sort of some sort of level of like either responsibility or fucked up, you know, yeah, guilt towards it and i don't think that'll ever truly go away Mm. i think we get content with it i don't know what it's like for you but i feel like i'm more content with it being done than i was like initially yeah yeah no i'm i'm glad i'm not with him anymore i part of me does wish that we could just occasionally meet up to chat you know because i think he's a very fascinating intellectual strange human being but we i know that just we can't because he'll because he's so good with that you know his words or intellect or whatever he'll find a way to like rope me back in but Mm. yeah i don't know um he he, i also don't feel too bad about him or being mean to him or trying to cut him off because he's he's his family's loaded like he <laughs> you know they bought him that warehouse which he like lives in and rents out right, and okay. throws parties on weekends and like um he doesn't have a normal job you know he calls himself a philosopher he's never studied philosophy so <laughs> you know just yeah <laughs> yeah oh gosh if you come to kevin's comedy i have a whole bit about i can't him. <laughs> wait yeah actually but be- before we wrap up let's talk about kevin's comedy because okay. like let's let's end on a <laughs> <Yeah>. less existential <laughs> crisis <laughs> Um, yeah, where did Kevin's comedy come about? Um, so during the first lockdown, as we were coming out of that, there wasn't many comedy rooms around yeah. and you were allowed more capacity outside venues. Mm. So I have this massive car park next to my um, house, which is like a shared joint car park with like a butcher and a baker and stuff. And so, yeah, back in like um, November, December of last year or something, uh, I had two shows there, mm-hmm. like uh yeah, one after the other, like a month apart. 
And it was a really cool, fun vibe. There's, you know, 50 people in this like um, gazebo in yeah. this car park and, you know, people were smoking weed or having some drinks or whatever. And it was just, a, it was a fun night, but I got in trouble with like my neighbors and the council <laughs> and so I didn't ask for permission. <laughs> so it was kind of this punk comedy vibe. But um, so now it's, I brought it back and it's at the Chippo. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so, yeah. yeah, more of a legit venue, much easier to organize and stuff. But we have like just really great lineup of some of my favorite comics. Um, last month's show had Luke Heggy headline and mm. he won best show at this 2021 Sydney Comedy Festival. Mm. We had Cam James and Beck Melrose and stuff. So, yeah, and next, uh, the one coming up December 16th is headlined by Becky Lucas. So oh. I don't know when this will come out. Will this will it? come out uh, next year, so don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that, if, if you don't all see these people, like, they've, <laughs> they've already gone. <laughs> But yeah, hopefully, I mean, when this does come out, though, it should be monthly. It's every third Thursday of the month at the Chippo Hotel. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's about it. Kevin's comedy. Go go and see it. But I love how that started. Yeah. I love that uh, that that's you know just started pre like it's a COVID baby. Yeah, essentially. It is. And Kevin is my fluffy white dog. Yeah, yeah, if, if, don't if, know. <laughs> yeah. Kim's little dog is called Kevin, and that's where the name came from. And he always comes out. He has his stage time. He has his moment. Yeah. It's the best way to leave an an audience, I think. Yeah. Just take a dog dog up on stage, you know. Everyone's like, be like, I I had a great time. Even if they didn't. Yeah, there's a dog. dog. I saw a dog. Um, (laughs) So. Where can people find you, Kim? Where can people find you on the socials? Well, I live at... No. Here's um, <laughs> uh, my postcode. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm uh, the fake Kimberly Rose on Instagram. And I, th- I think Instagram's the best way, yeah. to be honest. I'm also on TikTok, the fake Kimberly Rose. I haven't posted on there in ages, but I am planning on releasing some sketch stuff soon. So, yeah. Do, do do your directorial debuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. It's funny because I, I had TikTok years ago and I was just shit posting basically, just yeah. random shit that I thought was funny. Like I was in the park and I saw this dog that seemed like it was shaking its ass when it walked. Yeah. And I filmed that and put it to like a Shakira song and they got like half a million views. <laughs> just like, and I made films that I've spent years on that, you know, yeah, like and screened you- to like 50 people. And it, yeah, so TikTok is kind of infuriating. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've realized it's a good tool. So, you know, moving forward, I'll put some stuff out there. But honestly, like Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, the fake Kimberly Rose or um, it's Kevin's Comedy on it's Instagram Kevin's as well. Oh. Or Facebook. Go and stalk her. Go and stalk her all. No, but thank you so much for coming on. It's been yeah. an absolute pleasure to hear from you. No, it's been you. great. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. And if you want to go and check out more episodes of The Things We Do, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all then. Goodbye. Goodbye.